what's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is a thought leadership series that is designed to be able to enlighten and inspire you. And I bring on distinguished business leaders, guests, and subject matter experts, and also authors. And our conversations are really designed to get you to think on a higher level and get you to consider doing leadership and business in a different way. Before we get into today's program, let me give you two announcements that I'm really happy to share with you. The first one is that this this month of September marks the launch uh, launch of my new program called Gusto Now. What it is, it's an e-learning platform that allows me to be able to deliver my programs in English, Spanish, and Portuguese. Exciting. And the second announcement is my book is coming out and it's now listed on Amazon. It's coming out November 17th and you are able to pre-order it now if you like. It's called Purpose Ignited, How Inspirational Leaders Unleash Passion and Elevate Cause. And so fun. Let's call that my pandemic baby, shall we? <laughs> it's been great to, to get it out there. Now on to this week's program. Our guest today is Elizabeth Lotardo, who is a consultant, researcher, and co-author of the book called Selling with Noble Purpose, How to Drive Revenue and Do Work That Makes You Proud. She is the VP of Services at a sales and leadership consultancy called McLeod and Moore and leads sales transformation initiatives for clients like Oracle, G Adventures, and Pfizer. She joins us today from Atlanta, Georgia. Elizabeth, welcome to Working on Purpose. Great to be with you. Isn't it fun? It should be like that, right? It just should be like that. I couldn't agree more. And I, I loved hearing the intro that business can be a force for good. So I'm excited to dive into this topic. Absolutely. Well, I have to, for our listeners and well, for our viewers, not our listeners, but let's do this for fun. Since I can look right behind your, your beautiful face and see your book on your shelf, here's my copy right oh. here. Woohoo! Oh, great. Right? right. I love it. I, so as you know, I, I like to devour the contents of the books that I read with people coming on. So thank you for sharing with me and finding me. So, um, I, I, I love the whole idea of why does a book get written in the first place? I know from my own recent experience how hard it was. It was easier to bring my 17-year-old daughter into the world, Elizabeth, than it was to bring that book into the world. So <laughs> I appreciate what you've done. So first, if you would, you tell a story in the book about where the book came from, how it was born. Tell us that story to get us started. Sure. So the second edition of Selling with Noble Purpose just released, which is the book you're holding up. And I brought one down to my own uh, level here from the bookshelf. <laughs> okay, good. And the foundation of the concept of Selling with Noble Purpose was born out of a pharmaceutical study. So 10 years or so ago, purpose was not talked about in business. And I'm sure you know this too. Purpose was a word that was reserved for corporate philanthropy. It was reserved for maybe marketing and HR. It certainly wasn't talked about in a sales capacity. So 10 years or so ago, our company, McLeod & Moore, was hired by a major pharmaceutical firm to determine what behaviors made their top sellers the top sellers? Mm -hmm. So it's pretty pretty easy to tell the difference between a good seller and a poor seller. Good sellers ask questions, they do their homework, they make sales calls. But what this firm was after was uncovering the difference between a good seller and an exceptional seller. 
And to do this, they hired us. But here's the trick. They didn't tell us who the good sellers were mm. and who the exceptional sellers were. Oh, that's brilliant. Line study. Mm-hmm. Brilliant and honestly kind of scary because like you want to get it right. <laughs> right. So we were, we were tracking sales calls. We were doing all of the things sales consultants do. How many calls do you make? What kinds of questions do you ask? What kind of research do you do in advance? What kind of negotiating skills do you use? All these really prescriptive things that had been studied before. And with one representative who Lisa, the founder of our firm, was with, Lisa McLeod, had such an engaging conversation with the doctor she was calling on, was so deeply committed Lisa asked her a question that wasn't on the prescriptive list of questions. Hmm. And that question was, what do you think about when you go on sales calls? And again, many years ago, the mindfulness, the gratitude, the purpose, that conversation had not made its way into the sales vein yet. And what this representative said, the representative who sold uh, drugs that help people with arthritis, was that she thought about every single day one particular patient who, when she was coming up in a doctor's office, tapped her on the shoulder and said, Miss, are you the representative for this drug? She looked down at the woman and said, yes, ma'am, I am. And the patient looked up at her and said, I just want to thank you for giving me my life back. Because prior to taking this, I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything. And when my doctor put me on this drug, now I'm able to go fly across the country and see my grandchildren. I can play with them. And it's a level of freedom I never thought I would have back. So the representative is telling Lisa this story. Lisa's kind of caught off guard because we're supposed to be tracking how many calls and what types of calls, and this is totally different. (laughs) Where we put this. Right, there's not a box to check on this one. But she told the story so emotionally, Lisa was called to dig a little deeper Mm -hmm. into this, why do we sell? What kind of story do we carry in our heart? And what she found going back through all the transcripts of the hundreds of interviews were five people who alluded to this sense of higher purpose, who said, you know, I met a patient one time who told me this. My dad was a doctor. That is such a hard job. I want to make the doctor's life easier. I'm so passionate about the science of our company. I can't wait to share it with people. These five people alluded to this sense of purpose, this fuel that was something other than an incentive or a comp plan or quote. And those five people were the top five representatives, Mm. the entire company. So what we concluded from that study, and it it took us a while to put it into writing form, as you mentioned, it's tough to, to take these fuzzy ideas and distill them down to be really actionable, was that these sellers who had a sense of purpose in their heart, who had an intrinsic drive to make a difference on other people, were the sellers who outsold their transactional counterparts who were focused on internal metrics. Mm -hmm. So that was the foundational research that launched Selling with Noble Purpose. We've gone on to expand that research and and work with other organizations who are purpose-driven to really quantify the behaviors of Selling with Noble Purpose, but it was all born from that one idea. 
It's brilliant. And what I got present to when I when I was reading your book and preparing for this conversation is I remember um, back in the late 1990s when I was selling IT, information technology staffing services in Seattle, Washington. Um, and then shortly thereafter, I was just getting into my PhD. And then I was getting into the whole space of researching meaning and identity for my dissertation. Mm -hmm. um, I was a fantastic, if I may say, salesperson. I sold, um, I, I was, the t I, I think I got five of the nine awards for the company for, for performance and sales. And I, when I look back on that experience, Elizabeth, it's a lot of what you're talking about is I wasn't selling. Yeah. What I was doing was I was out talking to hiring managers in IT departments, mostly in telecom, who had what I thought were pretty cool projects that were going to make a difference in how they did their business and would touch their customers. And I got really excited that this hire manager was counting on me to come through with talent to get that project done. And I was really in love and excited about the projects that they were working on. And I would go, oftentimes go source the talent myself besides you know, getting the requisition. And it was all driven from the notion that I'm attached to something bit, way bigger than myself. Um, and so I, I, I was coming from a place of, I want to come through for this manager and this organization, not sell these services. Absolutely. And right. that is the same ethos that was in the heart of those yeah. five reps who yeah. sold the, the anti-arthritis drugs. Yeah. And I would hazard a guess that the reason you were so successful in that role mm -hmm. was not because the products were, you know, incredibly differentiated was not because you were the low cost provider or something easy like that. It's because you made emotional connections with the people that you truly wanted to serve. Well, yeah. And also too, I did see, I saw that the work that they were doing was meaningful and I felt connected to something much bigger because I, I and that's why I actually did my research around understanding how um, IT people experience meaning in their work and their relationship identity. So I got really invested in the work that they were doing. So yes, you're right. Intrinsic motivation writ large for sure. <laughs> um, so it was. I appreciate you helped me. You helped me kind of connect that for myself as well. So that was another great thing about getting to host the show that I appreciate that I learned from what you write in your books for me too. Well, you know, we hear a lot that the word selling with noble purpose put a phrase to what so many top salespeople had really carried in their heart yeah. and hadn't hadn't coined a phrase around it, hadn't connected with other people who felt that way. It's kind of an individual thing of top performers. Well, and so that gets me to the next thing that I wanted to talk about. And I want to showcase this in that just yesterday I was I'm coaching a, a young woman. She's 30 and she was kind of complaining and commiserating that, that somebody was bashing on her being a young millennial and not, and she was lazy and just didn't have a work ethic. And she goes, I work 60 hours a week. What do you mean I don't have a work ethic? And so then I want to take that over to the sales world where a lot of salespeople get the rap of, you know, you're all about money and self-interest and self-absorption and such. And you actually talk about how there's research on the economics of self-interest not being sustainable or even accurate. Can you speak to that for us? Absolutely. So you mentioned in our last chat that you didn't perceive yourself as a salesperson. Mm -mm. And a lot of great salespeople don't perceive themselves as a salesperson, myself included. I have clients say, oh, well, you're not really a salesperson. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm paid on commission and I, I presented a contract that you signed. So by definition, I am. But sales is one of those professions where we let a few people who do it badly define the profession. And we let this overwhelming era of self-interest come forward because those people are the loudest and the dutiful people who focus 
on the customer who have that in-game in mind of making a difference, don't always speak up the loudest because they're working and they're connecting with customers. But what the research has gone on to prove, especially in the last five years, is that the self-interest is so short-sighted. It is a penny wise and pound foolish game. And we see it in the way comp plans play out. We see it in the way whole organizations pivot, pivot their performance based on individual desire of increasing shareholder value versus what's best for the customer. So we've seen time and time again that these self-interest yield results in the short term, but in the long term, they completely fall apart. And it plays out on an individual salesperson level. And it also plays out on an organizational level level. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, you're, you're making me present. I know there's been a couple of times when I've gone in to buy like a, a printer or something at an office supply place. And I say, you know, here's kind of what I'm up to. Here's what I join you. What would you recommend? Oh, I know exactly which one you should get. And it's the one yeah. I know that they're getting the biggest spiff for, right? And I'm like, this really didn't work out that well for me. Thank you very much. But um, so I appreciate that you, you've got something in there. And I wrote this down here. Uh, more research about how that talks about salespeople with a sense of purpose put forth more effort and are more adaptable than those that are just quota focused, which obviously that my story speaks to that. But um, say a little bit more. I mean, the quota thing is interesting. I talk to a lot of salespeople and, you know, the quota is hanging over their head and it's it's the driver. Absolutely. So that research specifically just came out last year, and it's out of Michigan State University by Professor Valerie Good. And what she went on to prove was that salespeople who carry the story in their heart of I'm here to make a difference to the person I'm talking to and improve their condition, outsell salespeople who are purely focused on their own targets and their own quotas. And it goes back to your printer story. That transaction may have been beneficial to that sales rep in the short term, but you know where you will not be returning to to buy another mm-hmm. printer. Yes, I you know do. who you're not going to call. And the interesting thing about quotas is that a lot of times people assume that, you know, the makers of selling with noble purpose are anti-quota. And nothing could be further from the truth. If you truly want to make an impact on people, if you want to have bold action in the world, you have to measure it. You have to measure it, but it's just that, a measurement. It's not a goal. You know, Peter Drucker once said, profit is not the purpose of a business. It's the test of its validity. Oh, I love that. One step deeper. A sales quota is not the purpose of a sales force. It is the test of their effectiveness. And when you are connecting with customers well, when you are engaging in an impact value-driven conversation, provided your products and your pricing are on par with the rest, you will hit that quota as a result. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got to bring two things home here. I, I do want you to talk about you know, really what is a noble sales purpose. But at, before you do that, I want to share with our listeners and viewers kind of what you were just talking about. And um, a couple years ago, I, I spent a couple years working for a, a, another management consulting firm called Insignium, which is co-founded by Nathan Rosenberg and, and, and Sheeta Bina. And Nathan used to always tell us, he, he would say, if you want to make a difference in the world, you need to be a good salesperson. And I and I, I always appreciated that, but it's so true, right? I mean, if you really do want to be able to exercise your cause and contribute your talents and your passion, you have to find an audience to serve. And the way you generally do that is through a sales capacity. So having said that, um, tell us more in presence for us about what is noble sales purpose. A noble sales purpose is the difference you are trying to make in the world. It's a Mm -hmm. shared common goal that binds a sales team and a sales organization together. So a lot of times we get confused around 
a why, sort of a personal motivation and a noble sales purpose. A noble sales purpose is shared. It's proven in your customer testimonials. It's long lasting. It's not based on a product or a, a specific spec or even a price. It's the end game that you are pointing yourself, your sales team, and your entire organization towards on behalf of the customers you serve. And you use that purpose to not only rally your team, use it to innovate, use it to connect with customers and use it as a differentiator in the marketplace. So it is a series of words that go far beyond a tagline. Mm, Beautifully said, Elizabeth. You're a delight. I'm so glad to have you. Let's grab our first break. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We run here with Elizabeth Lotado, who is a consultant, researcher, and co-author of Selling with Noble Purpose, How to Drive Revenue and Do Work That Makes You Proud. She is VP of Services at a sales and leadership consultancy called McLeod and More, and leads sales transformation initiatives for clients like Oracle, G Adventures, and Fiserv. She joins us today from Atlanta, Georgia. We've been talking a bit about the beginnings of her book. Afterwards, we're going to talk more about the application. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Elizabeth Lutardo. She is a consultant, researcher, and co-author of Selling with Noble Purpose, How to Drive Revenue and Do Work That Makes You Proud. She's also a popular LinkedIn learning author, and her work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal and NPR. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Okay, so for this next segment here, Elizabeth, I wanted to get a little bit more granular and and ways to be able to apply this. We've been talking conceptually. Now let's bring it into the world of operations. And so um, the first thing that that really caught my eye is somebody who is kind of a geek in the world of, of learning, emotional development, et cetera, is you talk about how a noble sales purpose can change your brain. Tell us how. So I I join you in being a geek about these things. And I so So enjoyed the research for for selling with noble purpose, especially from a neurological perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, we hear a lot about dopamine in our current society and an addiction to dopamine. And nowhere is that more present than in a sales team. We get addicted to the high of the close. We get addicted to winning short term awards. And what we found in the research of selling with noble purpose is that serotonin is actually a more effective brain chemical for a sales team to Mm. tap into. And serotonin, unlike dopamine, is long lasting. It's associated with making an impact on people, with loving relationships, with gratitude. And what serotonin will do that dopamine will not is guide salespeople through a tough time, through a lost sale, through a competitive threat in a way that doesn't leave them feeling burnt out. 
Mm-hmm. So while especially now in a pandemic and an economic fallout, we're relying on that deep belief that we make a difference, that our work matters, and that these short-term things are only that. They're short-term and they are not deterrents from that noble impact we want to make. So I think there's an important distinction in this brain chemical, you know, feel-good lump between the two. And leaders particularly have to be very conscious of which one they're tapping into. Mm, That is so yummy, Elizabeth. I'm going to add one more thing to that from my perspective, and that's this notion of limbic resonance. And so um, meaning is registered in the limbic brain alongside memories and and emotions. Mm -hmm. The reason meaning works is because it's anchored in emotion, right? And so where you can experience that limbic resonance is when you can actually notice a team connected, whether it's a salesperson connected to the client or the customer or the sales team connected to each other, you can actually, you can feel that connection and it's Mm -hmm. because of the limbic resonance. How cool is that? That is super cool. You know, that reminds me of some research from Paul Zak, who's a neuroscientist. I'm not sure if you're familiar with mm-hmm. his work. He studied the difference in, in biological response to an emotionally engaging narrative versus a flat narrative. So a narrative about people and their feelings and the impact versus, you know, kind of a spreadsheet style talk. And what he found was that those people who were who were exposed to an emotionally engaging narrative had greater oxytocin in their blood mm-hmm. and they were more likely to take post-narrative action. They were more likely to change. You translate that to sales capacity, the ability to ignite someone's frontal lobes to make an emotional connection translates to them taking action in a way that a flat narrative on products, on specs simply does not. Yeah. And just numbers. Show me the numbers. Yeah. Love, isn't this a fun conversation? Don't we to do this, I, right? I, this is fun. <laughs> um, okay, so the next thing I want to talk with you about, and I do this in my book as well, but you distinguish beautifully passion and purpose. How so? How do you do it? So this research came to us from Chip and Dan Heath in their book called Moments. And what they highlighted was that passion and purpose, while often talked about interchangeably, are two very different things. And they studied performance as it relates to both. And not surprisingly, the people with passion and purpose were the top performers. And the people with neither were the bottom performers. Mm -hmm. But here's where it gets interesting. The people with purpose but no passion outperformed the people with passion and no purpose. So why is that? The research tells us that passion is more likely to fade over time. So much like a dopamine hit. Passion mm-hmm. is when you're excited, when you're when you're pushing forward, when things are going well and you want to make big change. But when you get set back, that passion tends to wane. Versus if you have purpose, a deep belief that your work makes an impact on other people, that your work is necessary and that people are counting on you, much like you felt in your IT sales role, you're more likely to push through. Mm-hmm. Another distinction that they made was that passion is individual. It's what excites you about a project, be it talking with customers, making presentations, you know, whatever that is, and purpose is more likely to be shared. So we're all bringing our unique talents to this noble cause that we're all in this together on. That's beautiful. And I, I completely concur with that. And you, the way that you did it in your book is just crisp. And so is that. So thank you. And I do appreciate, too, just like you said, too many people actually string together passion and purpose and meaning and purpose. And they're all distinct. Yep. Um, okay. So the next thing I want to talk about here is you also distinguish between organizations that have a purpose statement and actually being purpose-driven, a purpose-driven place to work. Of course, I know that too, and I'll chime in, but t- help us understand the difference. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the difference in your research. Yes. And I think as a as purpose becomes a hotter topic, a lot of organizations have rushed to put words on a plaque before they've rushed to create an actual purpose-driven culture. Mm -hmm. So much like values can be you know, on a plaque or actually lived, purpose is the same. And there's a famous example that we cite of, you know, it, it doesn't matter what you put in the marble on your lobby. Enron had integrity etched in stone in their lobby. And we all know how that one worked out. Right. What matters is that that purpose statement points people towards customers in every aspect of the organization, from your sales team, to your product mm -hmm. team, to your customer service team, to even HR and accounting internal functions. So I think the difference between having a purpose statement, which let's be clear, is a great start and most of the time better than nothing, and being purpose-driven is making sure that statement, the aspiration you have, is showing up in daily behavior. Is it the basis of customer conversations? Is it the lens in which we innovate? Is it connected to the way we talk to each other? So much like, you know, you can slap a slogan on a t-shirt, you do the same thing with a purpose statement, but actually activating it through the organization is where you start to reap the financial reward and the emotional engagement reward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Okay. So now here's where I want to, I want to layer in some distinction for me. So the reason I brought up the, the IT um, staffing sales role 20 years ago is because that was when I was a pure salesperson. Mm -hmm. Today, obviously I still sell because I own my company, two companies, and I do sell those services, but I also innovate. I also deliver the work, et cetera. So I don't see my, I'm not hundred percent salesperson. That's why I went back to that other example. But to your point, what has been so fun is to be able to work with organizations to help them articulate their purpose. Cause a lot of times it's in the air, but mm -hmm. they haven't distinguished the words that go with it. And therefore it's to your, your word before it's fuzzy and it's not effective. Right? So um, I really appreciate getting to do that kind of work. And I know you guys do something similar, but it's like magical when founders of companies can get present to their own purpose and they get moved to tears. Like, yes, this is what we do in the world. And I get to be the person that catches those words and helps them put, in, put them into being in the organization. So um, I could not miss us talking about this because it's so important. Absolutely. And I'm sure you've seen in your work that a lot of times purpose is truly present without the statement, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. And that happens a lot in smaller organizations, especially when the founder is really dialed into the daily operations. Of the right on. They keep that spirit alive. But unfortunately, it's not scalable, which is the challenge a lot of our clients run into. And you have to put words to it in order for that feeling to cascade beyond 50 or so people. Yeah. And then inculcate it and thread it through your, your operational practices with where it gets really fun. Right. I've had so many. I have to get this T-shirt out that I, I that I did with the company. But anyway, um, before we do any of that, what I want to talk about and I love how you say this, Elizabeth, it's so great. You talk about managers being the frontline belief builders. That is so spot on. Right. Say more about that. So managers being belief builders came from a, a client project, actually. And we were talking about different ways to infuse purpose into the business. And we talked about doing webinars on purpose, sending people to training to connect with the purpose of their role, doing marketing programs about purpose, all of these things. And what it really came down to was people interact with their manager more than they interact with HR, more than they will go to training, more than they will hear from the CEO at a town hall. And the manager's ability to connect the functional task of that department and that person specifically to a higher, more noble purpose is what makes or breaks a purpose-driven culture. Mm -hmm. And there's some research out of KPMG that cited that 
If a manager is consistently talking about the meaning of the work with their employee, that employee is three times more likely to stay. And you know from your experience in staffing, that's expensive. Yes, it is. Huge cost savings to an organization if they can cut down the expense of of retention and of replacing people. So I think as as organizations work towards purpose-driven culture, the single most important element from my perspective is that frontline manager. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to echo a, a couple of points there. One is the importance of, of reiterating the, the importance and meaning of a person's work, because a lot of times in, you know, in the everyday, you, you get lost in, oh, wait, I just have to get through this stack of papers, right? That's it's what I really have to do, right. right? You know, and so we lose the focus of why it is that we're doing that, and then it becomes a drag and, a, and, a, and, a, and that's something that we have to get ourselves through. And so a lot of what I say in my speaking and in my book and my consulting is the importance of leaders and frontline managers being belief builders, as you call them, believing in the importance, helping their their team members understand the importance of their work and the job that they're actually doing. Um, And so one of the things that I appreciate is, you know, when and so what I always say is you got to be a good storyteller, right? As a leader, mm-hmm. you got to be able to help people understand the story of their contribution to the organization and why it's important and why you appreciate it. And I know um, you sort of said this before too, but um, being able to distinguish in the opening story why does a company exist? Why do their products and services actually exist? And I do know that there's a company called Striker here that does this really well. They bring in patients who have who have benefited from their their medical devices so that their their employees can see and always be connected to this is why we do what we do right so there's an ongoing mechanism to remind them of how important their work is like Mm -hmm. your, your early example was those kind of things are so important They absolutely are. And I want to make the distinction that this philosophy of having this deeply seated noble purpose extends far beyond medical. You know, obviously, all of us are are appreciative, particularly in this time of our friends in healthcare. But we have a client called SupportWorks, who is a foundation repair company who brings in people just like that company Striker does, who talk about, we were so worried about our house. Now we have this peace of mind that we can raise our family here without Mm -hmm. foundation problems. We, you know, were dreading every time it rained because our basement flooded and we had mildew and now we don't. We know the home is safe for our children with asthma. It's really shocking once you get beyond the daily logistics and the to-dos of a business, the huge ripple effect that it has on people because for a business to exist with any type of success, you have to be making a positive impact on customers. And so often those stories are lost in a to-do list. Hmm. You are just brilliant, Elizabeth. I love your heart. I love your mind. It's just beautiful. So well, thank you. You're welcome. I'm with, a, like I said, a kindred spirit in this purpose space. You are. You are. You're in good company. And it's just us. No one else is listening. Oh. <laughs> um, all right. So I want to talk a little bit about, about leadership here, because I think this is so important. And you distinguish um, that great sales leaders ask their team, how will this customer be different as a result of doing business with us instead of, you know, what have you done for me lately? What's the number? Yeah. <laughs> Say more about how about how to distinguish a great sales leader. So I will I will put an asterisk on that statement with they ask it in addition to what are the numbers and are okay. Okay, pipeline totally But that question, how will the customer be different as a result of doing business with us, is the essence of noble purpose. And we call it the game-changing question because it changes the game in a couple of different ways. One, it prompts the salesperson to dig deeper 
from a discovery perspective. If you know you have to answer that question to your manager, you're more likely to have engaging and thoughtful discovery conversations than you are to pitch your, your little pitch deck. And the second way it changes things is for the seller, they have an emotional experience of even hearing themselves articulate the difference they can make in these lives and businesses. Instead of hearing, you're doing a great job, this work is important from their manager. When the manager asks that question, it gives the seller the opportunity to speak that into existence as well. And that's where they really start to own it. So if you can't answer that question, how will the customer be different as a result of doing business with us? You are likely undifferentiated and the pitch you are about to give and you don't have enough information to go forward and you're probably not as fully engaged and present with your heart as you could be. Mm-hmm. Oh, so asking so that question changes both of those. Yeah, and so that kind of strike that gets me to the space of, you know, if you whatever you're doing in the world of work, right, I always have the phrase, if you're not going to share your soul with me, don't waste my time. And so that question opens the possibility that you're really going to get into the, the, the real intimate, meaningful world of the person that you're wanting to work with. And I think that is stunningly beautiful. What a simple question to ask. It is such a simple question to ask, but it's one that's so easy to forget yes. when you're worried about who are the decision makers, who are the competitive threats, what's the pricing strategy, are we going to purchasing or not? Like all these things contribute to this whirlwind of activity in a sales perspective. But mm-hmm. when you can put that on pause for literally 90 seconds and lean into this game-changing question, you truly flip what's going on not only in your own mind, you become more engaged, but what's going on in the mind of your customer because your ability to articulate that value is what's going to make or break the deal, not a pitch deck. Mm, beautiful, Elizabeth. Let's grab our last break. I'm Dr. Lise Cortez, your host. We've been here with Elizabeth Lotardo, who is a consultant, researcher, co-author of Selling with Noble Purpose, How to Drive Revenue and Do Work That Makes You Proud. She's VP of Services at the sales and sales leadership consultancy called McLeod and More, and leads sales transformation initiatives for clients like Oracle, G Adventures, and Fiserv. She joins us today from Atlanta, Georgia. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in now, my guest is Elizabeth Lotardo, who is a consultant, researcher, and co-author of the book called Selling with Noble Purpose, How to Drive Revenue and Do That and Do and Do Work That Makes You Proud. She is also a popular LinkedIn le- learning author and has her work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal and NPR. That's awesome. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Okay, so Elizabeth, this next question I wanted to talk about, this is so interesting because I know that there are listeners and viewers out there right now who are going, this all sounds really amazing, but we don't do that at my organization. This yeah. is, my manager would never go for this, right? Um, that's not who he or she is. And so my question to you is, how can individuals tap into a greater sense of purpose at work, even if their manager or company isn't so inclined? 
You know, I'll tell you, my manager won't go for this is something we hear all, all the time. time. Yeah, <laughs> All the time. And I'm sure you hear it too. And what I'll say to that is you don't know what's in people's hearts unless they tell you. Mm-hmm. A lot of times managers are surprised to find that they do want meaning and purpose at work. We all do. And yeah. that the cadence of what's your number, what's your number, what's your number is not what's in their heart. It's what's coming down on them. Yeah. And they're being a funnel, not a filter on that metric. But what I what I will say is that you have to be the change you want to see in your sales culture. So if you are experiencing a transactional culture, you are the person to change it, no matter what capacity you are in, no matter what authority you have. And the way you can change it is by talking about what we've talked about here, customers on a daily basis, talking about the impact your solutions are having on the people that you serve. And that is so far beyond, oh, well, they have our product or they have IT staff now. Keep asking yourself, and then what, and then what, and then what, and you will start to get to that huge ripple that you have on the world. And when you are an individual contributor, no one is stopping you from having those conversations. Of course, you're going to have to answer the numbers conversations. Of course, you're going to have pipeline reviews with your boss, but your ability to share stories with your peers, your ability to share stories with your boss and with your customers will start to shift the tide to make a more emotionally engaging culture. Hmm. You know, I, I apparently, you know, speaking in stereo, because I say a lot of that same thing in my book as well, the whole even down to the notion of being the ripple effect. And so listeners and viewers, I just really want to encourage you to listen to what, what she just said, because wherever you are in the organization, you can make a profound difference in how it is or how it's oper- how it runs its operations, how it conducts its sales, how it touches its customers. You have the ability to make that profound difference and that impact and that influence. And we want you to do that. The world needs it. So whatever, wherever you are in the organization, you can make that difference. So beautifully said, Elizabeth. Um, all right. So now I have to get us to, I love what you said in, in your book. Um, you talk about the dirty little secrets of sales training. <laughs> Do tell. The dirty little secret about sales training. Yeah. The, the dirty little secret about sales training is not so much of a secret for anyone in learning and development. It's that it doesn't stick. We go into the classroom, we spend days practicing new sales skills, we work with acronyms and call models, and we all vow we're going to focus on the customer more. And then 72 hours later, it's almost like we never went. (laughs) And the reason that is, is that those skills did not change the North Star of the organization. If the North Star of the organization is still the close and the quota and to hit that quarterly number, those skills are going to get washed away mm-hmm. and we'll go back to our own habits. So in order for sales training to be effective, it has to be towards the North Star of making a difference to customers, because then those new skills, those new philosophy are in the service of something other than this random number that got assigned to us by eight layers up. Mm-hmm. So when you're focused on your customer and the difference you want to make, you are more likely to not only pay attention in sales training, you are more likely to practice and stick with those skills long after you leave. Mm-hmm. Ooh, so that, that we're going to build on that, I think, in this next question. Um, so before I say it, before I, I, I lob the question to you, I want to I want to position this. So I have something also that I write about in my book, and that and that is that very often when I'm out speaking to audiences, Elizabeth, I talk about, you know, what will you do with your one precious life? And they're like, well, you know, I've got these ideas and, but you know, I'm okay where I'm at now. And I hear the telltale sign of, of um, 
they're giving up on their dreams essentially they've consented to where they are and so there that that ambition is you know really waned and so I was really intrigued when you talk in your book about how purpose can help sales teams set and achieve ambitious targets say more about that so when you want to make a big difference in the world and you are calibrated to a noble sales purpose you are motivated to make some real change. And instead of pushing back on your numbers saying it's too big, too bold, I can't ever do that, I'm not gonna be able to get those, those customers over the line, you are instead focused on setting ambitious goals because they feel exciting and they feel purposeful instead of feeling like a grind. Yeah. And so I think when people long for meaning at work, there's this an assumption that you have to be feeding the poor or you have to be right. you know, saving lives in the ER and that right. the, the rest of us have succumbed to corporate life and aren't worthy of such a feeling. And that is just not the truth. Having a purpose-driven career doesn't mean that every day is sunshine and rainbows. It doesn't mean that everyone, you know, gives you a Nobel Peace Prize. Having a purposeful career is about making a difference in the lives and businesses of the people you serve. And in most roles, you have the capacity to view your job as exactly that because it is. And when you choose to trace through that ripple effect and choose to see this to-do list in the context of the impact it's having on your world, your entire ethos changes and your job doesn't change at all. It's the same thing. You just view it really differently. Oh, Elizabeth. So really quick, um, I, I did research on meaning in work and identity, and I found these 15 modes of engagement. And, and, and you're right. What I learned is so much of the way people experience meaning in their work comes from the way they view it. Nobody tapped them on the shoulder and said, hey, it's like this. No, they yeah. came up with that view, right? And they could be doing the exact same work, the exact. In fact, I had one where the gentleman was an existential crisis, one of the modes when I interviewed him. Five months later, when I come back around to share the, the research and I ask, you know, how are you? Has anything changed? He goes, good news. I'm all the way up to conflicted fit now in my, my mode. And, and I said, what's different? He said, just the way I'm looking at this. He said, I have the yeah. same crappy boss. I have the same crappy hours. Um, my, I still have to walk on eggshells around my boss. The only difference is now I see my work allows me to send my, my kids to college I, and my kids are proud of where I work. I opened a conversation with my wife about how miserable I was, and now I have her support. So, you know, it's, you're so right. This is so important. So if we can empower our listeners and viewers to see that they have the capacity to change their experience of work just on how they see it, we've done something today. Absolutely. And that's what I would say to everyone. You do have to be the change you want to see. And I know we uh, we touched on millennials earlier and how they get a bad rap for wanting this sunshine and rainbow workplace. And I would say that while we certainly have research to prove that a culture driven by purpose is a culture that's going to attack, retain, engage better talents, going to be a culture that innovates and retains customers, the power is in the hands of the people who work there. We talk about culture as this abstract thing, as if it's not the sum of all the people in the business. So if you are a person who is feeling like you want a more meaningful, fulfilling, purpose-driven job, give that to yourself. Mm, that's so beautiful. What a great gift. I'll take that all day long. Um, and by the way, I'm the, I'm the best boss I've ever had in my life. So um, <laughs> you know, I, I do that for myself. Um, <laughs> so, so speaking of culture, we talked a little bit about that before. Um, I wanted to make sure that our listeners walk away with something that they can maybe go right back to work with and put, put into practice. So share a few of your thoughts or ideas or maybe things that you've seen your clients do that help them inculcate purpose into their culture. 
The first is to ask that game-changing question. How is the customer different as a result of doing business with you? Mm-hmm. We spoke about it from a sales perspective and particularly in a sales manager, a salesperson interaction. That question can sit at the heart of any department. Mm-hmm. How is the customer different as a result of your work? And really push yourself to keep asking, and then what, and then what, and then what? And you will be amazed what you find. And you mm-hmm. take that story, what you found in that big ripple, and you share it with people. And I have heard from so many people that they felt so alone in this quest for meaning and purpose. But when they started talking about that, they were met with great enthusiasm. Wanting to make a difference and wanting to do it with people we care about is a human need that crosses all of us. And we have been uh, lied to that it doesn't matter at work and that those feelings are reserved for our families and for our, our after work activities. But when you start bringing that story into the workplace and you start putting the difference you're making at the front and center of those conversations, the tide will move with you because that's naturally what we're drawn to. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And I also like to I like to encourage um, companies and leaders to even just start meetings with just set aside three to five minutes and let people open with, can I share something that I'm really proud of that I got to do at work? Or can I brag on Elizabeth, what she did with this, the client last week? Because it presences why what we're doing is important. And it, it also, that what the, it does is this taps into that limbic resonance we were talking about before as well. These are such little things people can do to add to this. And it doesn't take any money, it takes very little time, and it lifts the tide so much. And you will get so much more time and energy and money back when Absolutely. you start doing it. So I had the privilege last week of having Bob Chapman on my radio show. He is the um, CEO and chairman of the board of a company called Barry Waymiller. Um, and they're all about truly human leadership. And they, he talks about the importance of a leader is to steward the lives of the people who work for them and it's in a way that you are looking at them as someone's precious child and you are stewarding that life. And so if you look at that as um, that you're going to impact that person's life and then they're going to go home to their their significant other and their children and their pets and they're going to treat them accordingly to how they spent their day it's going to wash into their community so back to your word ripple think about if you can improve the experience of people's lives at work you improve everything about the way they interact with the world that's worth that's worth working on absolutely And, and you know to close i'll share this story of uh or this research i should say There was research done on the best days of people's lives. And what this research team did was they studied terminally ill cancer patients Mm -hmm. and they asked them, what are the transformative days? What are the days you remember most, the days you would love to live again? And of course, the first ones were my wedding, the birth of my children, things like that. But beyond the, the what we think of as classic peak moments, people had great times at work. It was doing work they cared about with people that they cared about, work that they knew made an impact. We spend the majority of our waking hours at our job, and that doesn't have to be a depressing thought. It can be an inspiring thought because you have a tremendous amount of time to make a difference on the world around you. And your ability to connect your daily to-do list to that difference is what's going to determine ultimately whether you are one of those people who looks back on your life and is proud of the work that you did. Mm. Of course, you know, that resonates with me all over the place, right, in every way. And I want to come back at this point really quick and bring back in Nathan Rosenberg, right? So if you want to make a difference in the world, you got to be a great salesperson. And if you do it from the vantage point, as you've been telling us, how is my customer going to be different or better because of our interaction? 
um, that's a pretty fantastic way to navigate this, I think. So um, any other final thoughts? We have a couple more minutes here. Any other final thoughts or stories that you want to share? I would leave your listeners, and I so appreciate everyone who has been with us for this conversation, with the call to not wait. We spend a lot of time, you know, I'll wait till the pandemic is over to do this. I'll wait until I have more in the bank to to finally make a leap. Don't wait. The time is now. We are in concurrent health, economic, and social crises that have animated the call for purpose at work. And now is your moment to step up and claim it because the world is listening. And our ability to tap into something greater than ourselves is what will withstand us through these crises. Beautiful, Elizabeth. And to that end, I'll, I'll, I'll add that one of the things that I've been saying through my bullhorn through this COVID-19 pandemic is that we have a perfect opportunity as organizations to reevaluate everything that we're doing, especially related to human capital practices and for our conversation, how we how we um, operate as a sales organization and throw out all the crap that doesn't work, that's out, outdated, that completely dehumanizes the work. And let's find and activate and thread in meaning and purpose. We have the chance to totally re redo all of that right about now. And so I'm with you. Let's, I, I feel the urgency. I feel the opportunity. And I'm, I'm completely with you. Now sounds good to me, too. Perfect. Well, I, I'm so appreciative of you having me on, and I cannot wait to read your book. You definitely have a pre-order from me. I'm Yay. so excited to dive into all the research you've done on this topic. And like I said, I'm so appreciative of, of you having me on the show and connecting with another purpose-driven person. You are a delight, Elizabeth. I'm very glad to find you. And, you know, I have this handy little habit of whenever I now want to connect with my radio show guests like you and I have is I might show up on your doorstep when I'm there, you know, Atlanta for business. So, you know, if the door knocks, open it. Okay. (laughs) You got it. Um, All right, listeners, thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate so much that you joined us. If you want to learn more about Elizabeth Lotardo or her book, Selling with Noble Purpose, you can go to Selling with Purpose, right? Selling with Purpose. Selling with Noble Purpose.com. If, if you missed the show last week, we were on with Bob Chapman. We were talking about how he really has learned over the years to develop what he calls truly human leadership. It was a very, very inspiring conversation. You can always catch it via a recorded podcast. Next week, we're going to be on the air with Robert Bruce. He's the founder of Go All In. We'll be talking about the thought process he teaches to break through to higher levels of performance. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.